Talk to my friend Drew. And Allen. I'll tell you what, he's a tough guy. A millennial conservative. I've, I've become a big fan of One your writing. Of the great young thinkers of our time. Appreciate his opinion. Conservative Drew Allen. As diehard conservative to this guy for wisdom. I did see the news that Nancy Pelosi tested positive for COVID, as did Susan Collins. But don't worry, even though she kissed Joe Biden on the cheek while she had COVID at that event on Tuesday, uh, we're told that wasn't close contact. I kid you not. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this. I don't really know what the media is saying. They're not saying anything about it. I think that's the point. They're not saying anything at all. But I'm having too good of a day to watch CNN. Turn on MSNBC today. I'm not going to do it. I've got great news that I'm going to share with you in a little bit. But it's too good a day for me to go and have it ruined by by listening to Brian Stelter or Joy Reid or any of these, well, low IQ folks in the propagandist media. But but uh, anyway, so Nancy Pelosi got COVID. Uh, Susan Collins, there's a, there's a whole slew of these people. And it seems to be a whole lot of these individuals that are scoundrels in American politics, which makes me think that maybe Madison Cawthorn was right. I mean, you know, he alleged orgies and drug abuse throughout D.C. and the Washington establishment. Maybe they've been using the same unsanitized dollar bill to snort cocaine. I don't know. It's possible. I'd, I'd look into it. Somebody should look into it. The Democrats would be looking into something like that, right, if Republicans got it. But par for the course as usual for the Democrats and the media out there. Their reaction or non-reaction to this is just hilarious. So Peter Ducey, I've got clips of him later on. I love that guy. <laughs> he is He's the best entertainment. And it's not just these entertaining. He's asking legitimate questions, but he's the best thing this country has going for it in terms of the White House press corps. But so Nancy Pelosi was captured kissing Joe Biden on the cheek. And he asks Jen Psaki at the press conference, How can you guys say that President Biden was not in close contact with Speaker Pelosi when there's video of the Speaker kissing him? That's what Peter Ducey asked Saki today. And she says, Saki responds, Peppermint Patty says, their definition of it is 15 minutes of contact within a set period of time within six feet. Saki responded, it did not meet the CDC's bar. It did not meet that bar, she said. Where was this bar? When Donald Trump came down with COVID. Do you remember that? After Trump came down with COVID, he got out of the hospital, actually, to the chagrin of Democrats who were really praying for his death, hoping he'd die, croak, hoping they'd it'd, it'd take him. But anyway, he didn't. He survived, came back bigger, stronger than ever. And he went back to the White House and he stood up on, on a balcony, the Truman Balcony, it's called. And he took off his mask for photographs. He's up there on a balcony above anybody, well over six feet away. And they then told us, the news was saying, you know, this is so irresponsible. How can he do this? He's positive for COVID. He just had COVID. He's trying to kill people. And they reminded us exactly how many people died from COVID. And there was Trump, you know, who just had COVID recovered up on the Truman balcony, takes his mask off, waves to people, and they attack him for it. But here we have Nancy Pelosi, who had COVID and kissed Joe Biden on the cheek and nothing to say. Well, not nothing to say. It's worse than nothing. I wish they would just say nothing. Instead, they're saying that President Biden was not in close contact with Speaker Pelosi. That's what they said. These people don't have the ability to tell the truth about anything. This is what's so crazy to me. 
It doesn't have to be this way. Why can't they say, hey, you know, we're just very lucky that Joe Biden didn't get it. Uh, We don't know how this happened. Um, Thankfully, he tested negative. Pelosi's... No, they have to deny it and rewrite history. I mean, it's insane to me. Insane to me. She wasn't in close contact with Joe Biden, even though she kissed him on the cheek. Oh, well, the CDC says that, you know, now close contact is 15 minutes of contact within six feet. Science and everything else is dead. Which gets me to my next story that I want to just jump into here. Uh, This is about um, Barack Obama jumping into the fray to come out against the First Amendment. Now, I don't know. He's come out and said things before, but this is just... This is just crazy to me. Crazy to me that any Democrat in America can sit here and defend the Democratic Party when they're routinely, I mean, part of their strategy is trying to silence voices of opposition, silence any voices that don't agree with them, silence debate. That's not America. Every American used to be able to agree with that. If anybody came out and tried to silence somebody, take away their right for free speech, censor them. You'd think everyone would be outraged because we actually believed in the Constitution. Even though we disagreed on you know, fiscal policy or, or, or even bigger issues than that, we could at least agree that the First Amendment was an unalienable right, and we would decry, we would denounce any politician who would come out and say that certain people didn't deserve it. But that's where we are. So Obama, he's calling for censorship now. And it was at this same conference that I've got a bunch of of clips from. Uh, It was at the University of Chicago, this event. I guess it was a seminar or something for students there. But it was a collaboration with The Atlantic, which is a left-wing fake news publication. And it's this conference, or whatever they call it, is called Disinformation and the Erosion of Democracy. Now, coming up, you don't want to miss it, I've got a clip of Brian Stelter just... You're going to love it. You've got these freshmen... You're going to be encouraged because you've got young people at the University of Chicago. At least one of them's a freshman, if not both. And they just take it to these people. They take it to the woman at the Atlantic that speaks, confronts her about suppressing the Hunter Biden story. And then you've got a guy taking CNN and Brian Stelter to town. And Brian Stelter doesn't know what to say. He doesn't answer the question, I'll tell you that. But anyway, Obama... So, of course, you know, Obama says he believes in the First Amendment. Nearly absolutely. Nearly absolutely. You know, it's very important, the First Amendment, unless, of course, you say something that I, Barack Obama, don't like, then it's a different story. Then it's a threat to democracy, and we need to shut it down, prevent it. So I'm just going to, I'm actually, just bear with me. For the entertainment factor, this will be fun. It's a little bit longer what I'm going to read. But the idea that Barack Obama is some brilliant orator has always been a thing that's bothered me because he's not a good speaker. He's got his cadence down. He knows how to sound intelligent, but it's, it's a facade. He's like playing a part. It's like somebody instructed him on where to enunciate, where to take pauses, because it makes him seem intelligent, seem like he belongs to the academic elite. And when he's on teleprompter, he can do that well. But anytime he doesn't have a teleprompter in front of him, when it's not a prepared speech, when he's talking on his own, like I do here on my podcast, every time, I mean, I deliver, baby. Pure brilliance, not a whole lot of uh, ums. And I just keep going and making brilliant and make 
and make brilliant point after brilliant point. But Barack Obama can't do that. He doesn't have the talent that I have and others in this medium. So Barack Obama said, I am close to a First Amendment absolutist. I believe in the idea of not just free speech, but also that you deal with bad speech, with good speech, that you engage, um, that, 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 that the exceptions to that are very narrow, um, and, 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 you know, particularly, uh, among this cohort of folks in college, and, and I've talked to my daughters about this, um, you know, I don't want us to be such a society of manners that, like, we can't, we feel like our feelings are hurt and we can't hear something that, uh, somebody says and, and, and we will, wilt, uh, I think, uh, I want us all as citizens to be in the habit of being able to hear stuff that we disagree with and be able to answer with our words. Says the guy, by the way, uh, if they bring a knife, we bring a gun. I have a memory like an elephant. You can't get past me, Barack Obama. But there you go. Did you understand anything I just said? Honestly, I wasn't turning my brain. I was just reading it. And that's exactly his words, verbatim. But I didn't understand anything that was just said, and I doubt you did either because the guy is not a great communicator. He just rambles on. Uh, um, uh. But he goes on after making that, you know, first proclamation that he believes in free speech. He's almost, he's close to a First Amendment absolutist, but of course there's some criteria that violate, violate someone's right to free speech. So he goes on, he says, I'm just going to read this a little bit differently, but this is Barack Obama verbatim as well. I do think that there is a demand for crazy on the internet that we have to grapple with, and that this involves a systematic effort to either promote false information, to suppress true information for the purpose of political gain, financial gain, enhancing power, suppressing others, targeting those you don't like. And he cites roughly 40% of the country appears convinced that the current president was elected fraudulently and that the election was rigged. And 30 to 35% reject a medical miracle of vaccines. Obama says it was uh, important to reassert the value of, you know, expertise and uh, science. This is the thing. I was thinking about something today, by the way. Do you remember Galileo Galilei? He believed in violation of the official Catholic Church orthodoxy that the earth was not the center of things, but the sun was instead. That the earth, in fact, was orbiting around the sun. The sun was not orbiting around the earth. Now, of course, we know today that the earth does orbit around the sun. But back then, the official teaching, dogma, orthodoxy of the church was what? The Catholic Church said no. Because of scripture and literal interpretation, the earth is the center of things. All things rotate around the earth. We're the center of the universe. And for coming out and making that discovery that that wasn't true, what the church had been teaching, well, he was brought in, he was investigated, he was forced to recant what he said, and he did do it, but he spent the last years of his life under house arrest. And that's how he died as well. But that was the Catholic Church. Because the Catholic Church, of course, claims to be infallible. Infallible. And so they cannot admit mistakes. There is no room for changes. There is no room for improvement. 
to question the church uh, can't be allowed. And this is what the Democratic Party is like. They are like the Catholic Church of old that believes they are the final word on everything. You're not allowed to disagree with them. And if you do, you get the treatment like Galileo Galilei. They want to shut you down. They want to punish you. That's what the Catholic Church did. He had to recant what he said. He had to take it back. Otherwise, his sentence would have been more severe. And that's what you have with the cancel culture and everything else on the Democrat side. I mean, they're already trying to force people to self-censor because you come under attack. They punish you socially, even companies and so on and so forth. You get canceled. And that's really what the Democrat Party is. And it's a great analogy, I think, that I just came up with. Because the Democratic Party believes itself to be the final authority. Forget separation of church and state. They don't really believe that. They want to be the church and the state combined. And they don't want anyone to question them. And what's amazing, too, of course, is those like Obama and those on the Democrat side, the people calling for censorship, censoring misinformation, they're the ones who deal exclusively in misinformation. Only liars want to censor free speech. Those that are speaking the truth don't feel the need or desire to censor anyone because the truth is on our side. We're not worried about people questioning us because we have confidence. There's nothing they can do to the truth. You can't dismantle my... My statement or claim, for example, that there's oxygen in the air. You can't dismantle my claim that the sky is blue. I'm, I'm totally confident about that. That's the truth. Only somebody who would claim, for example, that the sky is green would feel the need to shut me up, lest someone discover that they're a fraud and that they have different intentions. And so that's what I mean. An honest person doesn't call for censorship. We don't feel threatened by lies. And that's why you hear every time from Democrats... And the left in this country, the science is settled because debate exposes them as frauds. They did this with COVID, with the vaccines. They do it with, with uh, climate change. When they say the science is settled and when they try to censor somebody, you can pretty much be guaranteed that's a very strong indicator that what they're saying is probably not true. Because if it were, they wouldn't feel a need to silence you. They would welcome debate. But they don't. They don't want to defend their point of view because it's indefensible. All right. So anyway, that's Obama coming out against that. And this is a big push for them right now. It's really totalitarian. And it's really disturbing to me. What's most disturbing is that every American doesn't denounce this. I mean, imagine if Trump had come out and he was calling for censoring the left, censoring things that didn't agree with a conservative point of view, a Republican point of view. You know, if, let's pick masks, for example, just for fun. We know they don't work scientifically, but let's just say that when the masking hysteria took over this country, even though science was on our side, imagine that instead of the left censoring people for claiming that masks didn't work, imagine that the Republicans owned the tech companies, and we were censoring those who were claiming that we needed to wear masks as dangerous disinformation. Now, the truth would be on our side, but the principle of it would be absolutely incorrect. But yet, that's what you had the left doing time and time again. Censoring. They did that with a Hunter Biden story. All right, and that gets me into what I want to play next. I want to play this great clip. There's a couple of them. They run a little long, but I want you to hear them all. Please listen to the whole clip. 
I might have to stop and interject. I'll try and let the whole thing go. Uh, but the first one I want to play is a kid asking, uh, I think it's the editor, I'll have to look at it, of The Atlantic, that propaganda outfit, uh, and her response about her censorship of the Hunter Biden laptop. Here we go. My question is for Miss Applebaum. Um, so in 2020, you wrote, those who live outside the Fox News bubble do not, of course, need to learn any of the stuff about Hunter Biden, referring to his laptop, of course. Uh, a poll later after that found that if voters knew about the content of the laptop, 16% of Joe Biden voters would have acted differently. Now, of course, we know a few weeks ago, the New York Times confirmed that the content is real. Do you think the media acted inappropriately when they instantly dismissed uh, Hunter Biden's laptop as Russian disinformation? And what can we learn from that and ensuring that what we label as disinformation is truly disinformation and not reality? I, my, my problem with Hunter Biden's laptop is, I think, totally irrelevant. I mean, it's not whether it's disinformation or I mean, I don't think the Hunter Biden's um, business relationships have anything to do with who should be president of the United States. So I, I didn't find I don't find it to be interesting. I mean, that that would be my problem with the, that as a as a major news story. So he calls her Miss Applebaum there. I, I wonder if that offended her, by the way. How can he be certain that she is a woman? What were her pronouns? Miss Applebaum. So her name is Ann Applebaum, and um, she is a staff editor at The Atlantic. Now, The Atlantic, by the way, is owned and funded by Steve Jobs' widow. Uh, what's her name? Powell Jobs? Lorene, I think is her name. Lorene Powell Jobs? But anyway, like all of these leftist rags, by the way, these propagandist outfits, they, they don't make any money. I mean, the Washington Post would not exist anymore. For example, if Jeff Bezos hadn't gobbled it, gobbled it up and poured tens of millions of dollars or whatever it is into it, it would have failed. And so would the Atlantic not exist without leftist funding from activists. But anyway, there you, there you have it. I mean, there's so many takeaways from what she just said there. Again, though, back to the theme. She's adamant that she did nothing wrong. She doesn't admit any mistake. That's how these people think. They're infallible. They don't have any humility. Do you know people like this that won't admit when they've made mistakes, no matter how big the mistake? I mean, look, we're all human beings, and maybe this is just part of my Christian upbringing. I believe we're sinners. I believe everyone makes mistakes, even myself. And it is not a sign of weakness to acknowledge you did something wrong. It's a sign of strength, a sign of growth, a sign of maturity. It's virtuous, not the opposite. But these people aren't virtuous to begin with. So there you have it. But there, there, there he quotes her first and says, look, you know, Miss Applebaum, you said that people outside the Fox bubble, you know, didn't need to know about it. But that's exactly who needed to know about it, and those are the very people who claim after they did learn about it that they would have liked to have known about it, because had they known the Hunter Biden laptop was real, 16% of Biden voters would have changed their vote. These people influenced the election by suppressing the story, and they knew darn well what they were doing. That was the intention. Now, he asked her other questions. Do you think the media behaved, you know, uh, 
inappropriately or, or did they did they behave appropriately? How can we change this going forward? And she says, what? It's it's irrelevant. The story's still irrelevant. Hunter's business relationships don't matter to who the president of the United States should be. And she didn't think it would be interesting. Well, she was wrong and she was lying. Imagine if that had been Don Jr. back in 2016. What do you think Miss Applebaum pronouns to be determined? What do you think Ann Applebaum would have said had Don Jr. had a laptop that showed inappropriate, suspicious financial dealings with China? 10% for the big guy? Do you think she would have wondered if that had possibly referred to his father, Donald Trump? Of course she would have. And that apart, I mean, just the, the sick photos on Hunter Biden's laptop alone, smoking crack pipes with his shirt off, with, I don't know, prostitutes or underage women or whatever. I mean, all of those things, they would have used that to sink and tank Donald Trump's chances. But it wasn't Don Jr., it was Hunter Biden. Joe Biden, the Democrat Party's candidate for president in 2020, and so they didn't cover it. Now, they knew it was real. They knew it was not Russian disinformation. These people don't live in a vacuum. They know this information, but they didn't want it to hurt Joe Biden's chances of being elected. They didn't want it to mess up their plans because they're activists, not journalists. And so they didn't cover it. They covered it up completely. And there you have Ann Applebaum just defiant. Well, I didn't think it was interesting. People don't need to hear about it. It doesn't have any impact. Oh, yeah, 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 Ann. Yeah, Don Jr., if he had, if it had been his laptop and it was Donald Trump and his family in that situation, we know darn well you wouldn't have said any of that. You would have been rushing to prove it true. Now, I got one more clip. This is, uh, this is, uh, Christopher Phillips. Yeah, Christopher Phillips. Uh, he is at this seminar and he asked Brian Stelter a question about, the media pushing false narratives. Here you go. Uh, hi, thank you for coming. Uh, my name is Christopher Phillips. I'm a first year at the college. Uh, my question is for Mr. Stelter. Uh, you've all spoken extensively about Fox News being a purveyor of uh, disinformation, uh, but CNN is right up there with them. They push the Russian collusion hoax. They push the Jesse Smollett hoax. They smeared Justice Kavanaugh as a rapist, and they also smeared Nick Sandman as a white supremacist. And yes, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop affair as pure Russian disinformation. Uh, with mainstream corporate journalists becoming little more than uh, apologists and cheerleaders for the regime, is it time to finally declare that the, uh, the canon of journalistic ethics is dead or no longer operative? Uh, all the mistakes of the mainstream media, and CNN in particular, seem to magically all go in one direction. Are we expected to believe that this is all just some sort of random coincidence or is there something else behind it? It's too bad, it's time for lunch. <laughs> uh, you have 30 and, seconds. No, I mean, there's a, there's a clock that says 30 seconds, but, but I think my honest answer to you, and I will, I'll come over and talk in more detail after this, is that I think you're describing a different channel than the one that I watch. Uh, but I understand that that is a popular right-wing narrative about CNN. I think it's important when we talk about shared reality and democracy, all these networks, all these news outlets have to defend democracy. And when they screw up, admit it. Uh, but when Benjamin Hall, the Fox correspondent, was wounded in Ukraine, 
The news crews at CNN and the New York Times stopped what they were doing, and they tried to help. They tried to help them get out of the country. They tried to find the dead crew members. That's what news outlets do. That's how they actually do work together to your question about sharing those kinds of connections and trust. We don't talk about... Well, that young man is a very smart young man. And Brian Stelter, Mr. Potato Head. I got to think of a new nickname for him, by the way. That's rehashed because everyone else uses it, but I like to be original here. But I'll think of something for him. I'll think of something for him. Um, but anyway, Mr. Potato Head there, he doesn't answer the question. And honestly, he, he, what, how he does answer the question is so stupid. I, it's so idiotic. So, I mean, the, the kid hits the nail on the head. I mean, he just dunks on Brian Stelter over and over again. Hey, uh, Brian Stelter, you know, CNN pushed Russia collusion, Jesse Smollett hoax, Kavanaugh, they said was a rapist, Sandman, they called a white supremacist, they dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop as pure Russian misinformation, bingo, kid, bingo, kid, giving hope to humanity, sentence by sentence, as I do. Um, and and he, 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 Stelter picked up on this, which I noticed, some of these things, so uh, the young man, Christopher Phillips, in posing his questions to Brian Stelter, his question to Brian Stelter, he, he talks about the media, CNN especially, being apologists and cheerleaders for the regime. Now, Brian Stelter picked on regime. He didn't like that very much. He uh, Later on in the interview, which I didn't play, he says, I assume you're talking about the Biden regime, the administration you're calling it that? Yeah, it is a regime, a dictatorial regime. But the kid hits other, other points, too. Hits it out of the park. All the mistakes. All the mistakes. And this is so true, especially at a place like CNN. All magically go one direction. All their mistakes, all their lies are about Donald Trump. They never get any lies that are incriminating about their own side in the Democratic Party. Is this a random coincidence, Mr. Potato Head? Or is there something behind it? Now, we know there's something behind it. We've seen Project Veritas uncover the footage, right, of the former president, Zucker, of CNN in the newsroom talking about how to select these stories, which ones to cover up, which ones to build up, because they have an agenda. And it's not to be truthful or honest. It's to do whatever it takes to prop up the regime and do what they bid, what they want. And how does Brian Stelter answer that? Well, my honest answer to you, young man, you're describing a different channel than the one I want. I can't, how does he get his voice so high? Did he take puberty blockers, by the way, when he was young? I'm just asking a question because I got a story about the Biden administration pushing, encouraging puberty blo blockers on our uh, 9- and 10-year-olds. But anyway, Brian Stelter, you're describing a different channel from the one I watch. It's a right-wing narrative. I can't do it. Anyway, he's they always claim to defend democracy. This is their, their tagline. Everything they say, again, that they're doing is not true. Not true. They're actually destroying democracy but claim to defend it. It's so, these word games are so tiresome, don't you think? But how does he give an example of the news not being a propagandist outfit for the Democratic Party? Well, uh, did you know that news crews like CNN, well, we stopped and we tried to help when a Fox News correspondent was wounded. I think he's talking about in Ukraine, I suppose. But anyway, so he's in a war zone or something like that. And CNN stopped filming. They didn't just keep filming. They actually helped a man that was down, even though he worked for Fox News. 
Look at how they worked together. They tried to help this guy. They tried to find dead crew members. Aren't these admirable individuals? Admirable individuals who go above and beyond when they're trying to get their footage and even one of those evil Fox News guys takes a bullet Well, they stop what they're doing and they try to help him. That's about the only humanity left that these propagandist outfits like CNN have. Unbelievable that he uses that as an example of working together. (laughs) That's how they work together. Oh, my gosh. Uh, But anyway, speaking of, uh, of the puberty blockers that I was just talking about, I want to play a clip of Jin Psaki. Um, It's another little bit longer clip, but I want you to hear the whole thing. Again, uh, she's given a press conference, and this is what she has to say about puberty blockers. Uh, Across the country, as we've talked about a bit in here, Republican elected officials are engaging in a disturbing, cynical trend of attacking vulnerable transgender kids for purely partisan political reasons. Today in Alabama, instead of focusing on critical kitchen table issues like the economy, COVID, or addressing the country's mental health crisis, Republican lawmakers are currently debating legislation that, among many things, would target trans use with tactics that threatens to put pediatricians in prison if they provide medically necessary life-saving health care for the kids they serve. Just like the extreme government overreach we've seen in Texas, where politicians have sent state officials into the homes of loving parents to investigate them for abuse just to harass and intimidate the LGBTQI plus community, today's vote in Alabama will only serve to harm kids. But Alabama's lawmakers and other legislators who are contemplating these discriminatory bills have been put on notice by the Department of Justice and the Department of Health and Human Services that laws and policies preventing care that healthcare professionals recommend for transgender minors may violate the Constitution and federal law. To be clear, every major medical association agrees that gender-affirming healthcare for transgender kids is a best practice and potentially life-saving. All of this begs an important question. What are these policies actually trying to solve for? LGBTQI plus people can't be erased or forced back into any closets, and kids across our nation should be allowed to be who they are without the threat that their parents or their doctor could be in prison simply for helping them and loving them. Uh, President Biden has committed in both words and actions to fight for all Americans and will not hesitate to hold these states accountable. I don't know any other word to describe the Biden administration and the left in America today, I don't have a word besides evil. Evil. And I'm so tired of them claiming to have the moral high ground when they are possessed by the devil himself. We are attacking, she says, vulnerable trans kids for political reasons. There's no such thing as a trans kid. And if there is, they need mental help. Mental help. Now, there are massive suicide rates in the transgender community. It's not because they're not accepted in society. That's not the primary reason. That's what they want you to say, and they want you to be afraid to speak the truth about it. The truth is it's a mental illness. And having the transgender operation, going down that road and attempting to become something that you biologically cannot become, that's the source of the mental illness. 
So when you go through and have the surgery, it doesn't fix what's wrong in your brain to begin with. So we are attacking vulnerable trans kids. No, we are protecting vulnerable children from perverts and evil people like Jin Psaki and the Biden administration who wants to cultivate and teach and tell young people, put it in their brains, that they should go down this path and take puberty blockers that are going to impact and change their life forever. And you can't go backwards. They're attacking vulnerable children for political reasons. To disturb them, to make them disgruntled, to make them miserable. To cause a proliferation of mental illness where there doesn't have to be any. And I love that she brings up, well, you know, instead of talking about inflation, oh, Republicans, we're debating targeting trans kids with tactics, targeting pediatricians who want to provide life-saving treatments to help young children, 10 years old, 11 years old, younger, transition. I thought we weren't supposed to address inflation. They don't want us to address inflation. Now they want us to address inflation? We're the ones harming kids when they're the ones... The Democrats, this administration, the radical, radical lunatics that associate with the activism of the LGBTQIA plus community. They're the ones harming children. I want to share something with you here. Because I don't think people quite understand what goes on and what they're proposing is done with children. Now, for most children, puberty begins around what? The ages of 10 to 11. Sometimes it's a little bit earlier. Now, this administration wants to issue, with or without the parents' permission, wants pediatricians, children's doctors, uh, to begin that process at 10 or 11 or earlier, giving them pubertal blockers. Uh, GNRH is the treatment they give them. It delays secondary sex characteristics. So, (sighs) all right, secondary sex characteristics. Those are the physical changes in the body, right, that happen during puberty. So, breast development, growth of facial hair. And so, if you're a male... A boy with a penis, um, you take GNRH, and it decreases the growth of facial and body hair. It prevents voice deepening, so you sound like Brian Stelter. It limits the growth of your genitalia, and they want this to be given freely to children. If you're a female, it limits or stops breast development, and it stops menstruation. Do you know how they pitch this, these people? Well, they call it gender dysphoria. Gender dysphoria. You know, I thought that when you had issues with your body like anorexia or bulimia, that was a bad thing, a negative thing. Do you encourage people to embrace their anorexic side, their bulimic side? Tell them that's a good, healthy behavior? No. But when it comes to this gender dysphoria, feeling discomforted or distress between what your gender is and how you feel, feeling trapped in a male body or women's body or whatever else, 
Well, they, they don't want you to say, hey, hey, you are a man, you are a woman, let's deal with this, let's, let's seek help. No. They want children who express this mental illness to be given puberty blockers. And, um, you know, this is medication that's usually given as injections, this GNRH. Monthly, every three months, depends. Or they can put an implant under the skin of the upper arm to do it. And if, you, if they do the implant, it has to be replaced every 12 months. This is serious stuff. Serious stuff. You're spending your entire high school years, your middle school years, getting these kinds of treatments. And that's not where it ends. That's where it begins. Down the road, you have to get surgery, right? If you really want to go all the way. They talk about working with doctors, for example, after you start getting the GRNH to do cross-hormone treatment. So it helps you develop masculine or feminine secondary sex characteristics. Helping the mind and body look and act like the gender with which your child identifies. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. This is, this is too much for me. She has the audacity to claim that, you know, these transgender children can't be erased or forced back into any closets. No, we don't want them forced into anything. We want them to be mentally well. We're not trying to erase them, but you're trying to pervert them and make them sick. And this was key. This was my big takeaway from this. She said that kids should be allowed to be who they are without the threat that their parents or doctor could be in prisons for helping and loving them. There is nothing helpful or loving about taking a 10-year-old and giving them these treatments. Just like there's nothing loving or helpful about a kid who wants to drink alcohol at 10 years old and has alcoholic tendencies and encouraging them to drink from the bottle. Because, hey, you know, that's just who they are. That's just who they are. I'm not going down this path with the argument. We're at war. This is the culture war. This is a war for our children, for what's decent, what's moral, what's right. And what was key about what I was just saying is she doesn't even want parents to have a say in this. They are actively trying to separate children from their parents. Now, they were outraged, right, when children at the border under Barack Obama's policies were put in cages, right? Separated from their parents. This can't be. But they are actively seeking to separate children from their parents. You don't, they don't want you to have a parental role. Now, you want to be 18 and you're out of the house and you're on your own. You want to do this kind of stuff? Go ahead. Fine. I don't support it. I do not condone it. I think it's wrong, and, I, and I, I am very worried because it's a mental health issue, and I know where it leads, suicide rates. Um, but this is where they are. This is what they're pushing. I mean, and, and you know, this is the thing too, right? Uh, we're targeting trans children, which is not a thing, with tactics. But they, they support sexualizing our children. Look at the Disney fiasco. The don't say gay bill, which is an abject lie. Parents, by the way, in Florida, not parents, sorry, teachers are quitting their jobs because they can no longer, under this law now in Florida, they can no longer talk to their kindergartners about their sexual lives. What kind of sick pervert wants to talk to a five-year-old about their sexual life? It has no place in the classroom. But this is good. Why didn't we think of this earlier, passing a bill like this? To get these sickos out of our school districts, out of our classrooms. It's brilliant. I hope they all quit. 
I hope they all go away because you don't have any business talking about any sexuality, straight, gay, any of it. No place. That's not your child. That's not your role. So let's get rid of them all. Uh, I was going to say something before I tell you my great news, big news here. I think you'll be as excited as I am, or at least close. You'll be excited for me and what's to come. I was talking about that Truman balcony a second ago, right? Donald Trump being on the uh, Truman balcony, taking his mask off and getting attacked. Meanwhile, Nancy Pelosi kisses. She's uh, COVID positive, kisses Biden on the cheek. And, oh, that's, 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 uh, that doesn't qualify as uh, whatever, the CDC violations. He was totally safe if that happens. But, but Donald Trump standing up on the Truman balcony alone with his mask off. Oh, that's, that's, a, that's a big threat, big threat. So this Truman balcony, there's a, there's an, a life lesson. So it was built under the Truman presidency. That's why it's called the Truman Balcony. Now, it was finished in March of 1948. And Truman stuck to his guns here. Truman wanted this balcony, and he argued that it was going to improve the south face of the residence, the White House. And other people, his uh, detractors, they said he was going to ruin the White House, ruin the image. It was going to be an eyesore. But he ended up building it himself anyway, and he paid for it. It's about 170000 in today's money. That's a couple days' work for Hunter Biden working for the communist Chinese. But anyway, this Commission of Fine Arts and other people argued this was going to be an eyesore, and Truman said, no, it's going to improve things. Now, he had cojones back in the era of uh, masculinity and real men in America, all the way back in the 40s. And so he built it. And you know what happened after he built it? He got letters from all those people who opposed it, who acknowledged to Truman that he'd been right and that it was an improvement. It actually looked great. They loved it in the end. But he didn't cave. And that's a message. When you have conviction about something, don't let other people dissuade you from that conviction. Don't give up, whether it's a dream, whether it's an ambition, any of it. Stick to your guns. When your gut tells you that, when you know something to be true, don't just cave because someone disagrees with you. Don't give them that opportunity. They're not right just because they something they say something contrary to what you say. Believe in yourself. Now, the news today, before I get into a couple other stories, the news that you've all been waiting for or that I'm forcing on you right now, however you want to look at it. So I am uh, have a new position. It's not going to affect this podcast. I'm still going to be doing this podcast. And in fact, I might be taking on additional responsibilities helping out in this new role. But uh, I am uh, now the uh, vice president, as of today, of client development at uh, Publius Public Relations. And I'm also going to be the editor of the Publius National Post. So what that means is I'm going to have opportunities to develop client, find client, find clients, find Uh, young, talented people out there and uplift them and give them opportunities. And I'm also going to be, of course, the editor of the Publius National Post. So I'm going to be directly involved with uh, that website. It's on Substack right now, Publius National Post. You can find it there. It's also where I'm located, drewallen.substack.com. But it's an exciting time for me because I'm really going to have an opportunity to, to broaden my impact, broaden my impact. Now, like I said, I am not going to be abandoning the podcast. In fact, this podcast is going to continue to grow. Uh, we're getting thousands 
more downloads a day on this podcast. So this is going to be good for me, and it's going to be good for the uh, uh, for Publius. And Publius, by the way, they uh, they're they're actually a pretty big deal. I've been I have been represented by Publius, just so you know, just so you know. And they believe in me enough that they're giving me this opportunity and giving me a job, basically, right? So vice president of client development. But uh, my journey, by the way began a little over a year ago. Last February. Last February is when I started with Publius and I was a nobody. Nobody at all. And a lot can change in just a year. And a lot of people, there were some detractors out there who didn't know where this was going to go. They couldn't understand this line of work or business. Uh, It's a different world. It is. Um, But I, I started working with Publius and I was a columnist first. And I continued to write and be published at more and more uh, conservative locations and, uh, you know, became better known. And then I started the podcast because I always wanted to do something like this and I just didn't have the confidence before to do it. And then I found the confidence. I had momentum and I've just kept plugging away and, and I'm getting better and better all the time and I want to help other people do this as well who are interested in it because like I said, we need more voices. We need more Trumans out there fighting for the Truman balcony because the Truman balcony is not an eyesore. It's a thing of beauty. So that's what I'm going to be doing. I might be expanding and doing another podcast for them, which will be more interview based. Now I've always, you know, a lot of people go out there and they do these uh, heavy interview based podcasts and shows. That's fine. Some people that's good for them. For me, You know, I go and I'm the interview subject a lot of times, and this isn't across the board, but I will tell you on many occasions privately, people say, Drew, we want you to come on because you're interesting and you have a lot to say and we like the way you say it and you're passionate and my audience isn't tuning in to listen to me. They're tuning in to listen to you, to my guests. And so that's the position I've been in from the start doing radio interviews and now more and more TV. And in the long term, I don't want people tuning into my show for my guests. I want them tuning in for me. If I have a guest on some special rare occasion, it'll be because they're very special and their voice needs to get out there. But this show is the Drew Allen Show. It's my voice, my thoughts. So that's the news. Very, very exciting stuff here. Um, okay. So, you know, moving on, I wanted to cover this. You know, I, have you seen the story about the the, uh, the Biden phones. First, we had the Obama phones, right, to the welfare recipients. He was handing them out to homeless people throughout America. Well, now we got the Biden phones. Although maybe we should call them the... Uh, I'll Forget it. I'll make the joke later. So, so White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki, she just confirmed recently that the illegal migrants, the illegal invaders at the border that are being caught by Border Patrol illegally entering our country. They are being gifted smartphones that we are paying for free of charge by the Department of Homeland Security. And she was asked about this at the press at a press briefing yesterday, it was on Wednesday. And she, of course, touted these cell phone plans, giving these out for free on our dime as a, as a strategy the administration is using to track illegal immigrants. Man. They're giving us COVID passports and they're giving illegals free phones. There's something wrong with this picture. I got to tell you, this administration hates Americans. The Biden administration hates Americans, but they love illegal immigrants, giving them free smartphones 
and taking away our rights and liberties and trying to silence us. And this is coming, of course, all at a time in which Americans are struggling to fill up their gas tanks every day. It's getting worse and worse. We can't afford groceries. We can't afford energy costs in our home to heat and cool. Those prices have gone up 100%, 50% in many cases. But we're going to give out free phones to illegals. So I'm going to play uh, Peter Ducey, my boy, Peter Ducey, the Boy Scout. He, he asked her about this. I want, I want you to hear his, his question and Saki's response. Uh, saying that you guys are starting to give smartphones to border crossers, hoping that they'll use the phones to check in or uh, to be tracked. I, which part of that is supposed to deter people from crossing illegally into the states? Well, I, I think you of all people, since you've asked me a range of questions on this topic over time, would recognize that we need to take steps to ensure that we know where individuals are and we can track and, and we can check in with them. Boy, it takes a special person, doesn't it, to be able to lie like that for a living every day? I wonder if she loses any sleep over it. I wonder if it bothers her at all that her job is to be a propagandist, to stand up there and lie every single day. So he, so Peter Ducey asked her, you know, there we go, my phone hooking up, great. Anyway, um, back and focused, here I am. So, you know, of course, that's a great question. He's always got a great question. And he says a lot in a few words. Which part of giving away free smartphones to illegal invaders, Jen, is supposed to deter people from crossing illegally into the States? And she hates Peter Ducey. She hates him. But uh, she says, you know, this is they're taking steps to ensure that we know where individuals are and we can track and check in with them. What she's referring to is what happens every time is these people, if they get apprehended, they're given a court date, a date to appear in court to answer for the fact that they are illegally in the country. But what happens? They never show up and nobody knows where they are. So she's saying, oh, well, we're giving them free phones now so we can, you know, call and check in with them, remind them to come to their meeting. Does anybody believe this for a second? And by the way, I, I want to know specifically the cranial side of me, the, the side of me that knows how to get stuff done, the business side of me. Okay, well, how does this play out? Um, do, you have, do you have the serial numbers? Do you have all the phone numbers? Are you keeping track on a spreadsheet of who these people are? What information are you getting from them? Are you using actually their phones to track them? Do you have some system set up in place? Because this is the first I've heard about it. You're giving these phones out. So has this been in development for a long time? You're giving them a smartphone? Do you have the uh, location app turned on so you can see where all these people are at any given time? I'd like to know that. That'd be interesting, wouldn't it? But nonetheless, it's stupid anyway because they could just ditch the phone. Just ditch the phone. And she goes on, actually, and lies. She said, I would note that nearly 80% of non-citizens released at the border from DHS custody under prosecute This is her. She's messed up. Uh prosecutorial discretion have either received a notice to appear or are still within their window to report. So that means nothing. 80% of the people who violate the law who come into this country illegally, well, 
they've been given a notice to appear. What, what does that mean? That means nothing. How many are actually appearing? Virtually none. We know this because there are no consequences, and the illegal aliens know this. And you know what this smartphone thing's about? I'm going to tell you a secret. What she's saying is a lie to cover up. They are using smartphones to spread the word to others who want to come here illegally to let them know there's a new giveaway if they come here. Not only health care, not only taking our money and not paying taxes and sending it back home, not only having special rights and privileges that are only afforded to people who break the law and who are non-citizens here, now you also get a free smartphone for crossing the border illegally. This is an incentivization. That's what this is about, incentivizing them. And Greg Abbott, though, he's taken a, a, uh, a play out of, out of DeSantis's playbook. He's got a better idea. He's going to send them to D.C., that's right, to Washington, D.C. Now, this is what DeSantis before had said that if they showed up in Florida, he was going to send them to Delaware. Delaware's got a population of a million people or so. So uh, DeSantis, that was his response. And I love DeSantis. You know, he's stuck by his guns like Truman. And look what he's done. The state's become more red because of it. There are more registered Republican voters in Florida today than there are Democrats, which is huge, which is wild. And he did it because he stuck... Uh, to his guns. And Greg Abbott's always been wishy-washy. You know, I almost, got, I don't even know if I should tell this story, but I think it might be fun for you. And let's have a little fun today. But early on when I started doing this stuff, before the podcast, when I was writing articles and then I was doing interviews on other radio stations, I went on a host show, Michael Berry. He's out in Houston, I believe. He's, he's a pretty big guy. Uh, I, I think he's actually a, a big guy, a tall guy. I don't know. But he's also, he's a, he's a big guy. He's been in the industry a long time. And he's pretty well known in the ra- uh, conservative talk radio circles, I believe. Uh, well, I went on his show and I was, I was going to talk about, you know, the, these, these Republicans who don't fight back. And, and, you know, he, he asked me a question about Greg Abbott, my opinion of him, because I'm originally from Texas. And I'll tell you a story before I get to the story that's probably going to get me in a lot of trouble that I'm going to tell you anyway, because why not? Well, I actually met Greg Abbott when I was in, in middle school in Texas. I grew up in a town called DeSoto, DeSoto, Texas, south of Dallas, and I was, uh, went to a private school. I was in middle school, and I was in the National Junior Honor Society. I know none of you are surprised to hear that. You probably just, every time you listen, you say, this guy was definitely, definitely in the National Junior Honor Society. I can tell. I think I even made it into the National Honor Society in high school, too, but nonetheless, I digress. Uh, so anyway, Greg Abbott came to speak to us. He was not the governor at the time. I, he was uh, attorney general or something like that in, in the state, but he was, he was in politics and he came and talked to us. And, uh, I thought that was really cool. I never forgot it. And he was in a wheelchair. I always remember that. And the story was that I think it was a freak accident. He was running. He was a big runner. And while he was running, a tree fell and landed on him and, and, um, he lost his mobility. So he, he from that moment on, he had to use a, a wheelchair to get around. And I knew this, but I wasn't thinking anything. And so when he asked me about Abbott, because Abbott is just notorious for being wishy-washy, not being a DeSantis that sticks to his guns and that frustrates conservatives in Texas. He seems to cave a lot and not be so bold. Well, I asked about Abbott and I said, you know, that guy needs to grow a spine. And immediately, immediately I said that. And I just thought, you know, if I was any more famous, if I had been, you know, famous or something at the time, 
I would have gotten in a lot of trouble. A lot of trouble. You know why, obviously. He's in a wheelchair, and I'm making a joke about growing a spine. Obviously, I didn't mean anything by it. I wasn't thinking about that because that's a common thing to say. Grow a spine. Grow a backbone. Or I think I said grow a backbone. But obviously, that could be misconstrued. And that I never forgot from that moment because I said, Drew, you got to be a little bit careful about what you say. But little things like that happen, and the left tries to ruin your career and ruin your life over it. Um, but anyway, Greg Abbott, good on him. Uh, he, he, he says he's going to send them to DC. Now, Texas has hired apparently 900 buses to do this job. That's not nearly enough. And this is in response to the Democrats, the Biden regime lifting title 42, which is going to incentivize a further invasion. It's going to explode. And the border patrol is expecting 18,000 illegals crossing every day. I think that's just into Texas. And so he's going to put on buses and send them to D.C. Now, I think that's great. I think it's hilarious. And I think it's effective. Effective. Make them feel the impacts of what they're doing. Let the people see what's going on. Because these people are just going to certain parts of the country and you never hear about it. But we're talking about millions of people who've come into this country illegally just in the last year. It is an invasion. And the intention, of course, is to change the electorate. Never forget that. One quick update on yesterday's show before I get to the biggest story of the day. We're almost there, and I want you to stick with me about this January 6th story because it's huge and it's impactful, and it's changing the game right now. Uh, But yesterday, I think it was, or whatever, the last episode, I was talking about Larry Heikila. He's the one who defeated the defund the police Democrat incumbent in Norman, Oklahoma. So he's going to be the mayor, a Republican ousted the Democrat, to be the mayor of Norman. Now, I was talking about Oklahoma, and I didn't know Norman specifically kind of what its electoral makeup was because, obviously, Oklahoma is a red state, and most, if not all, the counties at large uh, went the way of Trump. That's just how Oklahoma is. It's a, it's, a, it's a red state. But Norman is not a red city. Norman, Oklahoma, is, a, is an outlier, Norman, Oklahoma, Biden won that city by nine points in 2020. So it's a blue city in this red state. And that's a big deal. So a Republican beat the mayor of Norman, Oklahoma, which was a, which was a city that was won fairly decisively by Joe Biden in 2020. So that's a big deal. All right, to finish out the show today, Uh, A judge acquitted a January 6th protester, and this is huge. So basically, a judge told the Department of Justice to go pound sand. Now, this is from Julie Kelly writing over at American Greatness. She writes this, D.C. District Court Judge Trevor McFadden. Trevor McFadden is a Trump appointee. Just so you know for what it's worth, he's a Trump appointee. And of course, the media, you're going to hear about this. I'm certain of it down the road. If they're not already writing it and speaking about it tonight, I don't know. I'm, I'm not watching the TV today. But of course, this will be, oh, this is partisan, a Trump guy's trying to undermine things. Anyway, we'll get into that in a minute. But uh, anyway, this D.C. District Court Judge Trevor McFadden, this is today, I believe it happened, delivered a major blow to the Justice Department's aggressive prosecution of January 6th protesters. Following a bench trial this week for Matthew Martin, a New Mexico man charged with the most common misdemeanors related to the Capitol protest, McFadden found Martin not guilty on all counts. It's the first acquittal, the first acquittal in a January 6th case. 
Nearly 800 Americans have been arrested and charged, mostly on petty offenses, for the four-hour disturbance on January 6th. So this is what Martin was arrested for. He was arrested a year ago on four counts, entering and remaining in a redistrict in a restricted building, disorderly conduct in a restricted building, violent entry, and parading in the Capitol building. Prosecutors confirmed he was in the building for roughly 10 minutes. He pleaded not guilty, and he opted for a bench trial before McFadden, the Trump appointee. And he took to the stand in his own defense, and this is what Martin said. He said he was waved into the building by Capitol Police, which this destroys the entire narrative of the left, that these people were a bunch of violent protesters, and it also reveals what? More questions about, was this a setup? Why are the Capitol Police actually opening the doors and letting people in? The, the leftist media and the Democrats don't want to talk about that. Because I, I'm telling you, January 6th was their design, not Trump's. We know it wasn't Trump's, but I'm saying it was their design. And you know why? Because they were supposed to debate the legality of the way some of these states, and swing states especially, conducted their elections. They were going to discuss the voter fraud. They were going to have a conversation, and it was an opportunity to shine a light on what took place. And honestly, at the end of the day, legally, constitutionally, they could have prevented Joe Biden from becoming president. They could have forced investigations in these states, even redos if they wanted to. That is a system that's in place. I've talked about it on the program before, but I'm not going to go into all the detail again right now. But nonetheless, so he told them he was waved in by the Capitol Police. And um, he called Martin's conduct, the judge did, minimal and non-serious. McFadden found it plausible that Martin was allowed into the building and he didn't and 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 he found it plausible that Martin was allowed into the building and didn't realize the grounds were off limits to the public. Well, how would you think they were off off limits to the public? If you see the Capitol police opening the doors and waving people inside, that doesn't send a signal that you're not allowed to come in. That's an invitation. And her point is that McFadden's ruling could impact pending cases and plea off offers since a government witness confirmed for the first time under oath that police stood by as people entered the Capitol. And though, so there's a couple other people coming up. Russell Dean Alford's going to appear on April 13th before Judge Tanya Chutkin, who's an Obama appointee. Get ready for the showdown. Because if Russell Dean Alford, which I assume is probably not guilty of the same thing that this guy Martin was also not guilty of, well, let's see what happens. So this is a big deal. It it totally upends the left's narrative. And it's the first time the Department of Justice has been told to pound sand, sawed off. But this does, I got to add, this makes me really, really sad because remember I've talked about Matthew Perna. He's the 36-year-old who committed suicide. He committed the same non-crime that Martin did. Martin was just found not guilty. So he's in the clear he can go on with his life. The persecution is over for him. But Matthew Perna was in the similar situation before, and the Department of Justice delayed his sentencing, and they sought to bring additional charges against him. He was facing 20 years in prison already for doing exactly what Martin did, which was enter the Capitol building for 10 minutes or so and take pictures, walking into the Capitol building. But the DOJ pushed him so far was so, I mean, that's evil too. That's evil too what they did. And so Martin, 
God bless this judge and what's going on, but he's, he's, he's out. He's okay. Hopefully this continues to happen and changes things. But Matthew Perna committed suicide and it was needless. It was needless. But anyway, uh, this is Drew Allen. I want to thank you for tuning in today. Um, we'll see what happens again with Martin. I would imagine now that uh, CNN and the Democrats will be unveiling a new hoax. We'll keep an eye out. They'll probably go after Trump for it. Trump McFadden collusion here. Better get McFadden's phone records. Maybe the Clinton campaign can hire a tech executive to plant evidence, send a text message to McFadden, and make it look like it's from Trump. Take that to the FBI as a good citizen. Trump, Trump colluded with McFadden to get this Martin guy off the hook. But anyway, God bless you all. Thanks for tuning in. Keep sharing the show. Until next time.